born nine days before my dad's 43rd birthday. Everyone says you'd think no one ever had a baby before, the way he talked about little Samantha. <laughs> my grandparents were middle-class Jewish immigrants who insisted that everyone become a doctor or a lawyer. My Uncle Gary became a radiologist. His daughter, Ruth, an obstetrician. His son, Stephen, a lawyer. My cousin Jeff is an orthopedist. His brother Jeremy, dentist. My cousin Ronnie, lawyer. My other cousin Ronnie, dentist. My cousin Margaret, dentist. Her dad Steve, dentist. And her mom, my cousin Carol, is a physician's assistant. But my dad knew from very early on that medicine and law were not for him. He was going to be a playwright. My grandparents were horrified. <laughs> Responsible Jews with potential do not become playwrights. <laughs> but at the age of 22, my dad won a playwriting contest and a full scholarship to Yale Drama School. When I turned 22 and got my music career going for real, my dad was supportive. He said he just wished I'd pick something more reliable, like acting. <laughs> but he saw my love for music, like his love for theater, and he made sure to tell me what his parents never told him, that anything is possible as long as you want it badly enough. <laughs> Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new fashioned way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard performing a story about my family full of doctors and my dad who broke the mold, believing that anything is possible as long as you want it badly enough. And I'm a freak in love, a freak in love with you. Today, you'll meet some more of my family, my cousins Lolly and Marvin, who also broke the mold when they tried IVF way back in the 80s. The 80s. And while not everything is possible, they'll tell you that you can have a family as long as you want it badly enough. I'm in love with you. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Try not to touch any of this because it goes thud, thud, thud. So those are those rules. No farting either, I suppose. You can fart. Uh, it probably won't pick it up because it'll oh. be so far away. <laughs> Right. We'll make fun of you, but it's otherwise it's fine. Um, you are my cousin Lolly. You are my cousin Marvin, married to my cousin Lolly. I'm very lucky to be talking to you. First, I just want to ask what year you were married. 1985. 1985. So part of the reason that I'm excited to talk to you guys is you went through the whole IVS process a while ago, and it's a relatively new science really it's really only been around for 30 years hmm. so you guys were doing this like almost at the beginning of this whole process and right. it's it's That's a true. science that keeps developing and ke even since we've been doing it they've stopped and started different procedures mm -hmm. seven years so in 30 years probably a lot of things have changed did you both all always know you wanted kids was this like a thing on your plan I knew that I wanted kids. Marvin was ambivalent. And that's actually the same for me and George, except in the reverse. So he always knew he wanted kids and I was ambivalent. But the I feel like the, the person who knows wins. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like ambivalence often has to be like, well, okay, I'm ambivalent. So I guess if you really want it, then we'll go your way right. for this. And some of it, I think, was just your background, right? Oh, correct. Which is that what? That was all of it. An unhappy family oh, that right. I came yeah. from. Yeah. So you, were, you said you were married in 85. 
Right. And then were you like, let's get on this right away? Um, let's say I was eager to get yeah. on it. I think that um, Marvin was less eager. Yeah. And so we did wait about a year before we started. Just yeah. And also to like get used to being married, probably. Yeah. As people would want to do. That's yes. important to do. It is important to do. Yeah. Right. But I, I was 35 when we got married. So I had the biological clock ticking and was anxious about you were ready yes yeah <laughs> yes and so it was like the end of 1986 when we started to try okay and it was really the whole process of of fertility treatment was so new at that point it was even not nearly as prevalent as it is today right i bought over-the-counter things yeah um that would tell you when you're ovulating and uh, and so that's where um, that's where it takes all the fun out of sex. Totally, <laughs> almost <laughs> this whole process takes all of yeah, the fun. That's yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and how long did you work on it that way before before IVF? Before IVF, at least a year, maybe two years. Two years. Okay. Before I'd say. we discovered that there were problems. We, right. 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 So it was a year of like we're just newlyweds having sex. Maybe we'll have a baby. Right. And then it wasn't happening. Right. And did people advise you because of your age, now you really should get tests? Or did you know, like, let's get down to the bottom of this? I think I read enough to know that if after a year you don't get pregnant, that you should then look into why is that happening. Right. And so I, I definitely started to get concerned about it, but not seriously worried. You still had time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. I felt I still had time. And then where did you start to find the doctors you needed? And were, th were there lots of IVF places you could go for fertility treatment? We joined uh, some organization, Resolve, I think it was. Resolve was a, was a place where people uh, uh, interchanged in information. You, you, yes. Uh, you found out What's going on? Who's uh, what you do? Who who uh, who to go to? Like a support network almost, or yeah, I'd say it was more informational. It was also support. Support, yeah. Um, and it and it really went over all the options. Um, the adoption was one. IVF, right? It it would just survey a variety of options, including not having any children as an option. Oh, wow, yeah. Too. And do you remember, so once you kind of do dove into the whole treatment thing, do you remember how many rounds you did? And Well, there were rounds of like Clomed, oh, right? Yes. And where it was just sort taking of non -invasive. pills. And, and there was probably six months of that. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that, that the things have maybe improved, but uh, back at that time, uh, I had the feeling that we were guinea pigs in a big experiment. Yeah. And were there, in general, did you feel like you had to keep it all very quiet? Were you hiding it? What kind of support, other than Resolve, did you find other places and people that were supporting you through this? Or was it still kind of, were your families supportive or involved? Like, how much could you reach out to people at this point? Uh, we didn't really reach out very much. Um, my sister got pregnant, like, twice in the process. We both have very fertile sisters. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, And so it wasn't like there was any kind of um, someone that could relate at yeah. all. I had, there were some people at work who I know would share with me that they were going through it. They seemed to get pregnant too. It was oh. like the whole world was, it was getting, working for everybody, right? It was working for everybody. Yeah. But me. What was that like to have your sister being pregnant? Um, you were... that, that was very difficult, especially since she was five years younger. 
oh, than I was. Yeah. Um, and you guys are very close. Yeah, yeah. we are. We are. So that, that was... Uh, did you feel competitive? The first one, yes, I did. And the first one was okay. But when the second one came... And you were still and, trying. And I was still trying for the first... That was very that was very difficult because you guys got married close to the same time, right? right? Within three months. Oh, I didn't know it was that close. Okay, and my sister's four years younger, and was has always loved kids. So uh, we were talking earlier about how I was always conflicted about having kids because I just, you know, I wanted to be a rock star. I had other things on my plate that I was trying for, and the kid thing I just assumed would happen because that's just what happens. I didn't even think I would have to try for it. It would just happen. And then my sister comes along and and always loved kids and always wanted kids. And this was not even a side project for her. And so she had her first. And I wasn't I don't even think we were trying yet when she had her first. And so I was sort of like, why would anyone want a baby? Like I was sort of way in another place. And then she had her second one once we were trying. And that was challenging. Yeah. So for you, it must have been very hard because I'm sure deep down you were happy that she was having. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But not that happy. Not that <laughs> exactly. And she may have had had trouble on the other side understanding that, right? Because when you have a baby, the world seems to fall in, and everyone's happy, right? And it's not like I wish that she was having trouble. Right. It was just very difficult to be happy for right. her. Right. And then the other thing that my sister. We grew up Christian and Jewish. So my dad's side was Jewish, our side. My sister picked up everything from every religion, and I rejected everything from every religion. And so she had her kids. They gave, they were given names. My nephew's name is David, which was my dad's yeah. name. So he got my dad's name. So I don't get to do that. Uh-huh. And then she had them baptized, and they got their, baptist, their baptismal Christian names, and she gave... David, my grandfather's name, and the, her daughter got a different. And then she did like a Jewish naming ceremony. And so David also has my grandfather's name, your uncle Sai, my yeah. grandfather. I mean, it's like she took all the names. Wow. And I remember sitting at that naming ceremony fuming because why couldn't I have some of the names? And uh-huh. why couldn't I? Because of this whole genetic pull of right. you want to continue your family. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is probably the piece of IVF that became the most important to me, nurturing a child and continuing my family because I've mm-hmm. lost my father. And You can also name uh, your child after your father if you wish. I could. You could. What's stopping you? Two I have at least two cousins with the same name. Really? Yeah. Named after the same relative or just as a coincidence? No, I think it's the same relative. Okay. Well, maybe I will. Right. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that was something that really hit me because I felt like she gets to continue the family and I don't. And one thing I, uh, I, I felt, I think in Resolve maybe taught us that for often for women, it's about being pregnant and being feminine and, and it's all tied up in your sexuality. And, uh, and I felt that for me, it was. And maybe that's because I always grew up one of the tallest. And, you know, so there was always that question about my sexuality that that I was insecure about. Mm. And this was just confirmation of that. Yeah. And that's something else I was going to touch on is this idea of identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you were going through it, was your were you struggling with your identity? As, because I felt like, oh, I'm a failed woman. Woman. Yes. Because I can't make this happen. And I've I have always been not the most feminine person. 
I mean, I don't, you know, you have beautiful nail polish on. I've never even done a manicure. I mean, I'm just not in these ways. This shouldn't be the way that we qualify who's a woman right. and who isn't. But, you know, I've never worn high heels. I've never carried a purse. I'm just not that womanly, if that's even a good definition. And then to be struggling with getting pregnant. And I felt like, oh, I can't even do that either. Right. Nail polish is not a biological function. <laughs> this is a good point. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Um, so what, when was the moment that you said, okay, we are done we we have to do it a different way? We didn't, I didn't stop. So I did continue through the adoption process. Um, oh. and that's why we still have embryos, <laughs> That's frozen right. embryos. So it was really more that Marvin kept saying, uh, cause he's older than I am. Like, we've got to do something else. We have got to do something else. And so at least look into it. Yeah. Because he was always in favor of the adoption option. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and it was I was the one that was very resistant. I didn't want to go to a meeting. I didn't want to follow through w- with any of it. And he would say, just let's just go to a meeting. Let's and so I did. I went to the adoptive parents committee meeting, and you see, like hundreds, right, of adopted kids there and happy families. Over the not at one time. No, yeah, over the time. And then then it was well, let's get pre-certified because you have to go to a social worker and get pre-certified through the whole process. Yeah, so we started doing that, and he would say, "You could still do the IVF, but let's do this." Let's get it going. After yeah. after a while, you have to redirect uh, what this whole process is about. Is it about proving you can have a child, or is it about becoming a parent? Right. And at some point, the focus shifts to we want to be parents. Because it's very easy to forget in this process that making a baby is actually just the beginning of right. the thing you really want to do. But it becomes all about making the baby. And then you think, oh, phew, we're done. And then you realize, oh, no, we've actually begun our lives as parents. Yeah. Were there egg donors at that point? There actually oh. were, I think, at that point, some egg donors. donors, but uh, Probably the Wild West yeah, of egg begin- donation. Just beginning, I think. So that yeah, wasn't something that you... It was never an option that was spoken about yeah. to us. Yeah. So you began to look into adoption. We went to these meetings that were once a month. The Adoptive Parents Committee in New York City had a chapter. Uh, And here's where you really begin to feel that you have a support group in a way. Yeah. Because a lot of people are going through this uh, process. A lot of people are beginning to start the process. And the initial part of the meeting would be they would talk about, uh, about how successful this is compared to any other way if you stick with the adoption process even if it takes a few years you will end up with a baby it's a hundred percent success rate yeah <laughs> that's yes. what they you say. stick with it did you both feel like yeah we could do this or how did you feel Lally? i think marvin felt from the beginning that that was an option that he didn't even need to go to a meeting and uh and he um spoke to the rabbi and he had cousins who had adopted three children, right? Right, And they lived in Shelter Island. And he, he said, I'm going to call my cousin. I want you to go visit them. And you'll see what a nice family they have. And, and so he called them, and we went to Shelter Island. 
and we spent a couple hours with them talking about adoption. Their kids were from uh, born in South America, right? Correct. And uh, and I, when they walked us to the door, they were really very friendly and nice. They walked us to the door. I started crying. You remember? And I said, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. You said it to them or you yeah, said it to I, Marvin? I, I just said this is so hard and stuff. And then I think when we got into the car, I told you, I'm not sure I can do this. Somehow you changed your mind. I did. <laughs> I did. Do you remember a moment that you changed No, your mind? I don't remember okay. a moment. I just remember seeing the kids and thinking <sighs> they don't look exactly like them. And uh, and just thinking, I, I, I just don't, I, I can't give up this fantasy of being pregnant yeah that was very you know? important to you yeah and yeah. was there did you have a little feeling of like i didn't sign up for this this <laughs> um, is not the thing that i set out to right. do right yeah. yeah that's true but then it was also marvin's encouragement well let's get pre-certified let's do a little bit more and so we did get pre-certified and it was maybe going to the meetings and then once we started to put ads in papers and speaking, getting responses. And, and speaking to other people at the yeah. meetings who were going through the same thing right. and sharing uh, your, your experiences uh, with, with them and hearing people stand up and, and tell about what they would, uh, how, how they felt about the adoption process, how they felt about uh, the, pro the pathway that brought them uh, to this point, uh, and, uh, and also speaking to those people who now had children Right, uh, the end goal of the whole. Uh, That's right. And and uh, and we're enjoying parenthood, uh, and that is a big encouragement. Adoption agencies were not interested in people our age. Really? Yeah. But these people might have been your age as well. Some or? of them. Some of them were. Some of them but were. But that's why private adoption is not an agency. Agencies had uh, ages where they would not accept people over 40, some agencies. Um, but private adoption is totally different because you put the ads in papers and people respond to those ads, and it's their choice who they choose it's, yeah. as the parent. It has to be a state where it's legal. It's legal in New York State. At that time, it was legal in m many states, but not every state. Uh-huh. I wonder if it is legal now in every state. I don't I know. I don't know. I don't know. But what ha the way the meetings were structured, the monthly meetings, is everybody who was trying to adopt came to a hour meeting before the actual meeting started. So in that way, it was very much a support group yeah. because people would get up. First of all, anybody that had adopted in the last month would get up with their child. And they would talk, review the process of how they came to receive their child. And then, um, and then anybody who was having a hard time or had ads uh, in certain papers, you learned what papers might be more successful than others. And one of the most successful ones was the penny saver. Do they still have penny savers? I don't know, no. but I remember you told me that once. Uh, I think we used local penny savers. I, I, I think we might, yeah. But we also used states that we had heard would be good. And then the Times Union, the Albany... Times Union was the paper. Wow. Um, and people would go through what their process, what issues they were having, things that had fallen through for them. So it was truly a support group. And then after that pre-meeting, what I would call kind of a pre-meeting, 
were I think it was called the waiting workshop. Yes. It was called the waiting workshop. Then the adoptive parents committee meeting would start. We found out about the attorneys who were, who were involved in adoption. We found out the quirks of uh, of some of them, uh, and we were told, uh, "Oh, this guy's good. Don't expect him to be warm and cuddly, but he gets the job done." Okay. This guy, watch out, uh, so right. on. So you know what you're in for a little bit. So you know bit. what you're in for. Yeah. Yes. Back then, there's no internet, or maybe it's just in its initial stages. So the the technology is different. You set up an 800 number, right, uh, which you put into the advertisement. And uh, and spoke to people that way, and you get, you would get all kinds of calls, but some of them were very productive calls. And how what was what was the difference? What's a productive call and what's a not productive call? Well, a productive call is like the call that came, which produced our son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, this something you would know at the time, though? You'd be talking to someone and be like, "Oh." By no, that this- time, you had spoken to so many people. You had a feel for whether this this is real, whether this someone this is someone who's serious, or is this a scam, or is this uh, someone who has uh, got the wrong uh, angle. I mean, I got a call one time from someone who wanted to adopt the baby, who totally misconstrued what the oh. ad was. And, and there was a lot of uh, practice in, in how to write these ads. That's another thing that uh, we learned from, uh, from these meetings. And the ad was very clear as to what we, what we wanted. <laughs> but yet this person was so emotionally upset that they thought that we were offering a baby for adoption. Oh. <laughs> Or people that would call and just ask Very for Very non-productive calls. Yes, that's a non-productive call. People would call and ask for money, right? Right. And, th- and that, that, was an, that was one where, wow. you know, they had a baby, it would just cost you something. So th- that was also ones you would be able to right. know was, I was not the, serious. I was the point person. He was on, the point person. On, 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 All on the receiving calls. these, these, uh, Cause these he, calls. Because he worked at home. And what, right. and what happened was that a woman who saw our ad and liked the ad called and she was very gratified that a man answered the phone because she her husband had passed on early in life and she had to raise her children without a male presence and her daughter was pregnant <laughs> so that was important to her that was important to her was there a point lolly for you that you became more interested and maybe the IVF became less important or was it equally important all the way through until you brought home Max. No, I think that um, I was still interested in continuing with the IVF, but as the reality that this was going to work and and parenting became paramount, um, then I got more into it, the, the adoption. We knew nothing about parenting from the first-hand experience, in a way. Uh, as a part of this process, the people that on the other side who have the, the child that's going to be adopted, they have an attorney too, and you get to speak to that attorney. And I had a conversation with that attorney to set up the meeting, and she said, bring a diaper bag. And I said, what's a diaper bag? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And she told us later on, she said, wow, hmm, this could be trouble. <laughs> Well, and your story to me was amazing and also terrifying because you you were working on adoption for how long? Two years? More, I think, right? Well, once we put the ad, once we got pre-certified and actually put an ad in, he, Max came in, like in, nine months later. In our, in our case, once we got it all set up from the time we first really got started 
putting in ads and being uh, legally set to do this, it took nine months until we had our son. And it took, which is interesting because that's a gestation. I know, that's why we remember. That's, that's why we remember. It. <laughs> right. That's amazing. And yet, from the moment you found out about Max to the moment he was your son was a much shorter period of time, right? Oh, yes. That was a week. A week. So you yeah, went right? from... Getting a phone call uh, that Marvin took, speaking to the birth grandmother. Her daughter was... Right. His daughter had given birth when she called. Oh, he was already born. He was already born. Right. And he was was six weeks old when we met. And had she spoken to other adoptive parents first, or were you the first? Like, did she have someone in line that fell through before she gave birth, or no? This was all you guys in perfect timing. She, as she said, her daughter had her whole life ahead of her and felt, you know, the timing was not right. She didn't have a, a man in the family. Her birth mother was a teenager. A teenager. Mm-hmm. And so she felt like it, it, wouldn't, it would not be a good situation, although she thought he was beautiful and um, she said a wrestler. Remember, <laughs> she said something like that. He looks like a wrestler. And, uh, and so they put him in a foster situation and to decide what to do. And they were looking for a new house. They were going to move. And she opened the paper and found these adoption ads. She hadn't considered that. Uh, she had only considered agency kind of adoption. Oh, I see. And then she saw these ads and she thought, wow, now I can select who, uh, who the baby goes to. This is a big misconception about adoption because people think that there's like all these children waiting to be adopted everywhere and you just sort of ride in on a silver stallion and pick one out and take it home. And it's not like that at all. Not at all. Right? I mean, it's really amazing. the mis- and, and I was sometimes getting people when we were struggling through all the IVF saying, well, why don't you just adopt? Right. And that sentence alone shows how misinformed people are. There's no just adopt. I mean, no. that's not... It's not an easy road either. You really, that can take five years. Oh, it can take a long time. And now the selection process for the birth family or the birth parent is much different than when we had it. I mean, there's not just ads and papers. It's internet and there's people do write-ups, a lot of write-ups about themselves. I suppose Facebook might be used for this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's true. And so you, where did you actually go to get Max? Was in a hospital or a house? No, so he was in this office. Yeah, he was in this foster situation. They were taking really good care of him. We, I was nervous about that, so we asked the attorney. Um, I remember I said, like, well, he's born already. He's in a foster home. Because a lot and of he, adoptions happen before the child is yes, born. Yes, a lot. You, you, the mother finds right. you. Oh, yes. And yes. He, he said, let me assure you, he's in a home that knows much better than you do how to take care of him. <laughs> Something like that, which was absolutely true. And, uh, and then he said the fact that he's born is also a very big advantage because if there were any issues in the birth, that would have all come out already. And you have all the records of the birth. And so, here he is, a healthy boy. Right, a healthy boy. He's good to go. Yeah. He summed it up by saying, if you don't uh, accept this situation, I don't know where your heads are. 
<laughs> he said that? He yes. said something like that. I don't he know. Did he say it in a I, nice I, way, like no, you're saying he, it? He, or he, he said, yeah. if you tell me you reject this situation, I'm going to have to ask, what are you waiting for? That's wow. what he said. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He had many years of experience doing this. In fact, he was an adoptive parent himself. So he yeah. knew a lot about it. He knew yeah. a lot about it. <laughs> we could accept his word as being pretty solid. Do you have a father? I mean, any type of father? Then you're going to want to hear a new series called Tell Me About Your Father. It's all about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tell Me About Your Father aims to unpack all facets of the father. The loving, the ambivalent, the supportive, the irresponsible, the wealthy, the living, the dead. These are the fathers who built us up and, well, let us down. It's free therapy, but funnier and just as deep. Tell Me About Your Father Season 1 is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You had an appointment set up for a day to go and right. meet Max and bring yes, him home was, that same day? All, well, we got an attorney for him. For his that family, the birth family, our attorney knew an attorney in Albany who went over and met the family. And then they all arranged that we would pick him up and, um, on Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, which was a Monday, so that we would drive to Albany and pick him up. And what was it like the night before you drove to Albany? It, it was Do you remember? A, it was actually the weekend before because I felt like... On Monday, I'm going to be a mom. You know, we're going to we're going to have a, a baby. So, like, how are we going to go on vacation and do all the things that we have to do before we're going to be parents? <laughs> we only have a weekend. You don't get a baby to moon do if this. you have two days before, <laughs> right? And Did you have a nursery set up? Did you have no, diapers? We Did you have anything? They tell you nothing. I mean, generally Jews don't do showers anyway. Right, yeah. I don't know how many Jews really adhere to that. Some do still do them, but because they think it's bad luck. It's bad luck. Yeah. So you may not have. Done, even if you had been pregnant, you may not have been right. set up. But yeah. did you have anything? Or we had you, nothing. Nothing. We had nothing. Right? Did you run nothing. out and buy stuff? I that think we weekend? had a bassinet. I don't think we had which we anything. borrowed from 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 somebody. But that was then. Yeah. Denny actually made a list of like the twenty things you need. Your sister, right? And she made that list, I and she going gave us things. Yeah, she went shopping with us. That weekend. Yes. We worked that out weekend. what a diaper bag was. Right. You figured yeah. that out. Okay. That weekend. And um, and she made a list for us. She gave us the first outfit. I mean, he came with an outfit. Right. <laughs> she gave us some things for him to wear. She gave us... Did you sleep at all that weekend? I mean, what were your emotions like? When yeah, you were... it was just like, wow, I cannot believe... You know, there was also that expectation, like, maybe this won't happen, right? Because you're so, so you, used right? to disappointment. So there's that. So you don't want to get too excited about it. But, you know, your life is just going to change so drastically. And you're you're going through it all in 48 hours. Right, and she gave us a car seat. In the end, it wasn't just a change. It was an improvement. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But I, I would think that would be. And also for me, I... Now that we are having a baby, I'm I, initially when I had built myself this identity of this kind of angry, rebellious woman who couldn't get pregnant and screw all you guys. And I just have my own life and I'm going to be fabulous and go to Scotland and do what, I, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, 
oh no, I am going to be a mom. I almost had like an adverse reaction to it because I was so used to being the sort of angry, struggling person mm. who wasn't allowed into the club. And now I was going to be in the club and I didn't right. know how to handle that. I right. don't know. Did you have any feelings like that after struggling for so long? Or maybe you're better people than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I, th I thought that. Okay. No. You were just all for it, but yeah. except for the restaurants that you yeah, were right. Yeah, right, or, or the vacations. Or, right. Yeah, I thought, oh, how am I going to get to Europe this weekend? <laughs> and all the things. All those things. Right. And then, so now it's Monday, and you're going in. Where? So where are you actually? You're going to the lawyer's office in Albany. We're going to the lawyer's office in Albany. And you drove from here. We from drove, here. right. Okay. Because the lawyer had said, their lawyer had said, it was very important for the birth mother to pick him up at foster care and take him there. It was important for her emotionally, her emotionally or legally? Oh, emotionally. Emotionally to make sure that she was certain that this was she was going to do this. Oh, uh, so there was still a question even in the last moments of this that she might change her mind. Right. And, but they right. also felt like she needed to do this. Um, so she went with her mother to the foster care picked up she also brought a gift for him and uh and picked him up and brought him to the lawyer's office and so we met her mother we met the birth grandmother and she didn't want to meet us she um felt very emotional about it and was the, crying the birth mother. mother and was mm -hmm. crying in the waiting room so did you ever meet her or no? no we never met her we, we have a picture of her yeah so the birth grandmother had max in her arms. In her she arms. brought him And did in. he have a name? Um, he had a name that he had been given in foster care, uh, but the birth records said baby boy. You know, they, they were very anonymous. So, Matt, because Max is your name. That's Max the name is you our gave name. It's after yeah. Aunt May. After Aunt May, yeah. we yeah. have a family thing. Yeah. M's are very popular in our, yeah. in our family. Um, and do you remember the moment you first saw him? Oh, I do. Don't you? Yes. Yeah. I do. What was that like? You know, uh, well, he had a cold. Uh, remember that? He was swaddled in this uh, yellow in outfit. Yellow snow suit. Yeah. Yellow uh, snow suit. This yellow yeah. outfit. And uh, and he had a um, pacifier in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And she walked in with him and gave him to us. And then she said not to let him keep the pacifier. That was <laughs> right. That we shouldn't. And, uh, did you follow her rules? Yeah, we did break we him did. of that. We did. Yeah. yeah, she told us we should do that. She was very nice. She really was, and she, you could tell she was very emotionally connected to him. Do you remember? She said, "Let me let me look at him one more time." You know, it was it was a very emotional situation. Marvin asked if he could kiss her. Wow. Um, right. Mm -hmm. We kissed her. We took her picture. Um, Did you ever think you might keep in touch with her? or No, that no. wasn't part of the uh, arrangement that we had. Um, we, how, long, how much time do you think we she spent with her? She had expressed the minutes? feeling that, that, um, uh, that it would be good for her daughter to just move on. Yes, yeah, she had. She did mention the fact that Marvin looked like the birth father. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, she did. She said he looked a well, lot like Well, you look like, like Max. I mean, I've always right. thought that you guys both look like Max. It's kind of amazing. Your coloring yes. is the same and, you know. Blood type's the same. Blood yeah, type. blood type. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And because what they 
do recommend now is that you everyone do an open adoption, which yeah. is to encourage continued relationships that was with the birth in family. Then, uh, but it, yeah, but not it, that uh, popular. Was, it was not that popular. Yeah. We didn't have that as an issue because both of us wanted uh, the standard way that it had been done until then, which was not open. Uh, but on the other hand, we also realized that at some point in his life, our son might want to explore who his birth parent was. And if he chose to do that, we would do everything we could to support that effort. And has he ever wanted to meet them? He hasn't he ever hasn't. expressed that. I mean, I... We learned through the Adoptive Parents Committee uh, because there was post-adopt workshops as well uh, that you there are times where you should ask them, right? And so one of those times is on their birthday. You can say, you know, on your birthday, I think of your birth mother. Or it can be when they go to the dentist and they don't have any cavities. And you could say, you know, that's probably because of your birth parents that you don't. So I remember one of his birthdays, I said, you know, when it's your birthday, I think of your birth mother. Do you ever think about her? He goes, why should I think about her? I don't even know her. <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't really asked a lot of questions. But he did know all along that he was adopted. Yes. Oh, yes. So he's sort of like that guy who said, yeah, I know that some that somewhere uh, in Brooklyn, there's this woman gave birth to me, but that's not my mother. <laughs> and that's the extent of it. Yeah, because right. I know there are people who don't tell their children and it can be very detrimental. I mean, oh, even I with our situation with, you know, we have an egg donor, we have a surrogate. These are things this child is going to need to know. They mm -hmm. really, you know, they may not care, but it's important to make that clear to them at some point and not have a stigma attached right. to it. But it is, it's, it's complicated information to try to explain. And I think I, when he was in school, when he was even young and in school, were, were they getting things like draw your family tree exercises and things like that? Or did he ever hit stuff in school that was challenging? He did. He had that exercise, but he just did our family tree. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> the awesome. school we did not share it with, and there, there's an important distinction that they taught us and that it's not secret, but it's private. Oh, wow. And I think that's a very important distinction. Yeah. Uh, so that he doesn't feel like we're hiding anything, but it's, but it's private. And if he chooses to share it, he can share it. So there were times when all of a sudden he would want to share it. And that would be fine, but it was his story to share. Didn't you tell me a story where he told his friend and his friend wouldn't believe him? Correct. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Right. I remember was that? I was watching the two of them. I had to go to the bank, and I took the two of them uh, with me. And they How waited. Old were they? Whew, about uh, middle, they, school? middle school. I took them with me. They waited, and they, there they were talking while I was busy with the teller. I came off of the line, and his friend comes up to me and said, is Max adopted? And I said, yeah. And he didn't believe it. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or there was an, a time I went to pick him up at Sunday school, I remember. And I came to get him, and he had chosen that day to tell Michael Rappaport. And when, when I came in, um, I said, he said, Max says he's adopted. <laughs> you know, and I said, oh, he is. And then it wasn't long before Michael's mother called me up and said, you should know Max is telling people this, you know, fib. And I said, actually, it's true. She said, it can't be true. He looks just like Marvin. 
<laughs> she said. That's so funny. It was funny. I think he looks a whole lot better, but never mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, was there a moment when you, so you do, you bring Max home, you're beginning your life as the parents of Max. Are you still doing IVF at this point? No, or? we stopped. Okay. So then when did stopped. you stop? Like the day you... So I think in the last several months, if I remember, we got more into the ads and answering the ads that I just kept the embryos and and just didn't do anything with them. And did you ever think of trying for a sibling, either adoption or... I, I you know, maybe I thought about it, but I was just... We were really busy, and uh, I just didn't think about that. As in, there would be, had been enough times we did it five or six times where it hadn't worked. We had four or five embryos left. It, w- it was going to be one more time. I think it was four because they put four in at a time. Then, oh wow, yeah, that's how they did it. They and did now they won't even time. barely do two. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And but what about adopting another baby? Did you think about no, that? No, we didn't. You were you were full. Yeah, yeah. And so then, once you had Max, did your identity change again? Did you or did you just stop worrying about it? Or I stopped th- thinking about it because there was a baby in a house in the house, and I wanted you have time to, be, to. And I wanted to be a mom more than anything else. Really, I wanted to be a mom. And whether or not I satisfied being a woman became secondary to the fact that I was a mom. And and I had a baby here to take care of. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was. (laughs) And so with your parents, were they on board... 100% 100% when Max came home was it did you ever feel competitive again with your sister's kids no quite my parents were so into it once he he came my mother absolutely adored him and uh and I felt like she loved him no differently both of them but more my mom because she spent a lot more years with him my father died much much earlier mm. um that there was there she he was a grandson, and uh, and she loved him. So, no, yeah. I think she was thrilled well, with him. Well, and actually, Jackie has her own adoption experience. Right, right, so yes. Because Jackie, your your sister, was your, I can't even remember the story. She this was adopted by my father. Ado- okay. Yeah. So she so was your she's mom's from, daughter. from a previous marriage. I see. And when they got married, my father adopted her. But we've told Max, you know, Aunt Jackie's adopted. Oh, yeah. Too. At some yeah. point, Jackie decided to look into her birth family. Her dad's side, right? Her yeah. dad's side. And, and connected with her siblings. And other members of the family were very unhappy about that, let's say. Of our side of the family. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but... We understood what was going on there, yeah. and we thought that this fact, was. I a, facilitated a, this. Oh, you did. It was a very yeah. natural thing for her. I did to want to do. Yeah, and to do. That's so. Yeah. And you helped her. When I, she... I helped her. I'm the one that uh, was the connection. But I was definitely in favor of her doing that. Do you know what prompted that? I think it was actually her son Jeffrey. Oh, started asking about medical things. Oh, okay. Uh, just certain g- genetic uh, diseases, that kind of thing, and she didn't know the answers to that. She didn't have fifty percent of the equation, right? Correct. She didn't. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you were sort of there to support her while yes. she was reaching out, yeah. which, which other people did not want her to no, do. They so didn't. I could see that being important to you to be supportive. Yes, of I making did. that connection. Yeah. Wow. Well. 
thank you guys so much for talking to me. I know this is a very emotional subject. And the beautiful thing is you have this fantastic son named Max, who right. is now how old? 27? He's going to be 27 on Friday. On Friday. Yes. And he has a, a great job and a fantastic girlfriend that he we does. all wish he would just marry already. Because <laughs> it feels like she's part of the family already. Right. That's true. <laughs> so Max, true. get on that. No right. pressure or anything. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or want to say to people that might be going through this or experiencing either questioning the idea of adoption or going through infertility or anything in general? I think the key is persistence. Yeah. I'm going to have you say that closer to the mic because it's important. The key is persistence. Persistence. Yeah. And endurance. And endurance. <laughs> yeah. I think that's very true. And I do think that the words about adoption is 100%, has a 100% success rate if you right. stick with it. Yeah. That's where it the does. persistence comes in. That's a very in. important But that's I also think statistic. that the, and this is something they emphasize, that you don't have to be a parent. That couples that make the decision to not uh, have children can be just as happy. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and sitting on your floor with me. <laughs> I hope, Marvin, your back is not out for the next seven days. <laughs> I know. Um, so I appreciate it. This is, we're talking to Lolly and Marvin, my cousins in Queens, part of my dad's side of the family and who adopted after struggling through IVF for several years. And it has a very happy ending. So right. that's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for Episode 6 of IVFU. Come back to us Episode 7, where you'll meet Maureen, who's not only doing IVF on her own, she's also lobbying the government for fertility health coverage, which puts her in some pretty unexpected situations. Yeah, the last time we were there, medical marijuana was the big thing. There's a huge protest happening to my right, and then some other DWI group, I think, to the left. But that's just a Monday at the Capitol, so wow. that's very normal. <laughs> The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton, and we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love, by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUPodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson, with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment is from a performance of my show, Life, Death, and Duran Duran, recorded at the Complex Theater in Hollywood. If listening to these stories helped you, and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making Season 2 a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together, because remember, it's all about being a family. And I'm a family.